Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which of course is new every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. I appreciate you all listening and checking it out. As I tell you guys every week, the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and is heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on volume, Sirius XM channel 106. You can also listen to full shows, interviews, audio, video, and more anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. If you have access to SiriusXM and you are in the U.S. or Canada and you are only listening to this podcast, you are missing the, the majority of the stuff that I do on a daily basis on the radio. You're only getting a tiny, tiny sample on the podcast. So if you're not already joining me on SiriusXM, I truly hope that you come on board and join me for daily rock talk, interviews, and calls. So today, a couple interviews that uh, took place recently on the show we'd like to bring to you. First up, I'm going to visit with Mark Storacci. Mark Storacci is the lead singer of the band Crocus, very popular Swiss hard rock metal band, a band that actually called it quits recently on a farewell tour. Uh, Their tour was somewhat messed up because of COVID. They were supposed to do a U.S. run as a farewell And that didn't happen because COVID hit just when they were about to do it. But they did wrap up in Europe where they're actually a much more popular band. To this day, uh, in a place like Switzerland, they're actually an arena rock act. Storacci is not done, though. Uh, Crocus may be done. Storacci, their lead singer, is not. Because as you're about to hear, he has released a solo album, his first ever, under his own name. And I'll talk to him about that. Crocus, and also in this interview... This guy has been rumored forever to have been the replacement for Bon Scott in ACDC prior to Brian Johnson. His name has always come up when there's been a vacancy in ACDC because of the type of voice that he has. Finally, I get clarity from Storacci about actually what went on back in 1980 and if he ever was offered the gig in ACDC at that time. You'll hear Mark's thoughts on that coming up. And the second interview, we got two for you this week, is with Aldo Nova. Everybody, I think, who's a rock fan remembers Aldo 40 years ago. He came on the scene seemingly out of nowhere. 
Uh, Canada would be where he came from, though, uh, with a debut album. And on this new platform called MTV, had this huge hit and this huge video for a song called Fantasy. Aldo, in many, for many, many years now, has been an accomplished songwriter, writing for a diverse group of, of artists like Celine Dion and others. And now he's decided he wants to get back into the rock world and has made an expansive two-hour rock opera that's coming out in segments. And it's a pretty interesting story. And Aldo is very honest and very candid about his career and his thoughts on some of the people that he's worked with and what he's hoping to do going forward, getting back into rock music. So we have two people for you this week on the show that can kind of almost fall into a whatever happened to sort of uh, situation. So I thought we'd put that together for that reason, because Crocus has been off the radar for a little bit in America. People always wonder about Starachi and the ACDC thing. And Aldo Nova, uh, for the most part, has been pretty much off the radar with rock fans for, for over 20 years, I'd say, at this point. So we're going to get you updates on both of what, uh, on what both of these artists, who also both came out around the same time, are doing now, and a little bit about, in the case of Starachi, his previous band calling it a day. So we'll start with Starachi, second Aldo Nova, two big interviews for you on the Eddie Trunk Podcast this week. Remember, please subscribe, and please follow me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. Okay, here we go. As promised, Mark Starachi, first of two interviews for you on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, Mark, what's going on, man? How you been? Hey, Eddie. <laughs> I've been fine. Been really busy in spite of COVID. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, been a long time now already since the last time we met on the Mork cruise. <laughs> yes, Monsters of Rock. I remember we sat and had some lunch one day and had a nice conversation. And, uh, you know, I, I was uh, – I don't know if you know this, but I was telling Peter, who works with you, this – a few years ago, I was actually in Zurich. It was, I was in Switzerland for the first and only time. I had uh, uh-huh. I'd come over there for a few days, and you, uh, Crocus, was playing on the farewell tour. I saw the posters up around the city, and it's funny because I was saying to my audience, you often hear stories about bands being bigger in other countries, and there really aren't. In the case of Crocus, you truly were because you guys were playing in an arena and it said sold out on the poster. I said, look at that. They are actually are an arena band here. <laughs> it's it's true. Uh, that was 2019. We were on the Adios Amigos tour. It was the final concert in December. And uh, we actually sold out the Hallenstadion in, uh, in, back in... Uh, 1982. Uh, so we we became the first ever Swiss mu- music act, Swiss band, to sell it out, and and it's it's the rock temple of of Switzerland. You know, I mean, all international, I, all big bands play in there in the Holland Stadium. Yeah, I wanted to go badly, but I was there for uh, with my family, and I rarely take trips with my family because my kids are in school and stuff. And I was like, "Oh man, they're gonna kill me if the one time I'm on a family vacation, I say I got to go see Crocus." <laughs> as much as I wanted to, I wanted to try to keep the peace too, if you know what I mean, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Obviously, you're with the family. You have to leave your work 
uh, a second priority. <laughs> and and the other reason why it didn't bother me that I didn't make it was because at that time, Crocus were planning to do a run of dates in the U.S. as a farewell, which, of course, well, yeah, COVID got yeah. in the way of, right? Well, yeah. So we, we also thought we were going to come over and play in the USA and Canada, do some Mexico dates. And before that, we we intended to do the UK with Saxon, you know, and uh, it all fell in the water, you know, with uh, COVID. So <laughs> here we are today, no crocus, no tour. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, le- well, let me you ask know. you about that, because that leads into what you're calling about, which is your first ever solo album, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But why did that? First of all, why was Crocus ending? Why were you why did you do a farewell tour? Who wanted to end the band? Well, it first came from uh, Fernando's side and, uh, and and Chris and him are pretty close. So it, it was like I was outvoted and um i'm i'm usually like that you know um the libran <laughs> tries to keep harmony and uh, i went along there's nothing i could do if if the other guys wanted to stop and and i i, I kind of understood the spirit of of the decision was um let's let's close the shop while it's still in one piece and we're all alive and and we were giving great shows, and and it was still energetic, and uh, to to say it politely, kicking ass, <laughs> you know. So, um, so I I kind of you know uh, harmonized with that uh, spirit of things, and we gave everything. And 2019 was full of festivals. We never played so many festivals in Europe, and. It was a really nice thing, and and that made it even sadder uh, for me. I mean, I after the last song, I I looked out into the audience. They were having so much fun, and and there were people out there, girls, even boys, you know, wiping their eyes, and and I started wiping mine a minute later, <laughs> you know, um, and then uh, yeah, well. <clears throat> You know, Fernando said, yeah, yeah, you got more gigs to do. Don't forget, you know, even though he, he wasn't going to come over anyway, uh, because he never did. He stopped coming overseas over the big pond, uh, long haul flights, you know, because of his health situation. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to take any risks anymore and so on. So, so yeah, that calmed me down. I thought, yeah, we still have... Uh, the last run ahead of us and it didn't happen so here i am now with my first solo album <laughs> which well, well before some, well before we get uh, mark before we get to that why didn't like so there were a lot of bands that had uh tours even some bands that had farewell tours uh disrupted or paused because of covid but now they're coming back around and resuming it and making up the dates clearly crocus made the decision we're not going to bother making up the dates that's a sign we're done now is that right why didn't you decide not to try to still make the dates up now that things are starting to move again somewhat well for a while back there um i guess it was one year into covid uh it already seemed you know like uh, the curtain was 
be, being pulled for real, you know, because it's kind of, you know, you kind of fall into this subconscious depression about things. And if you're not active, you don't, if you don't stay active, you know, it's going to take you, you know, you're going to fall into a, the dark hole, you know? <laughs> so, so the gigs were kind of canceled and I, I just saw no hope anymore. And, uh, so that that's the way it is now and I sure would like it you know to be a different way and and come out there with the guys and raise more hell you know before we call it a day but um, that doesn't seem to be you know it's like phew, trying to flog a dead horse you know what I mean <laughs> it's yeah, it's but you know every but but Mark, you know every band that does a farewell and says no more. Almost every one of them comes back. <laughs> yeah. So maybe yeah. maybe you know, couple years, maybe less. Uh, Chris gets the itch. Somebody gets the itch because the other thing about it is that's interesting about this is most of the times. When bands end, it's because the singer doesn't want to do it anymore or he can't do it anymore. But clearly, you still have your voice and want to still do it. Yeah, I, I have most of it. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of matured in a way that, uh, like red wine, I say, you know, it's like I've lost maybe a half a half a, uh, I've lost a semitone from my, my high parts. Um, but I've gained resonance and, and quality, you know, it's a different kind of sound on, on the lower region, the mid and stuff. So I'm still enjoying what I do. And I, you know, I, I like having enthusiastic musicians around me, which, which is what I have now. And, you know, the whole, the whole thing, the whole process of doing the album was for me, um, keeping me away from the dark hole of COVID, which so many people fell into, you know, it's like uh, <clears throat> sitting on the, on the couch, watching movies and, you know, putting on weight, you know, and I was, I was doing the opposite, you know, consciously and with pleasure. And because this was no new idea, you know, I, I had been wanting to do a solo album since ages and there was a period in time when Crocus was kind of not doing anything much. And uh, that's when I was working on on songs, on new songs, with this guy, Charlie Prysel, with whom I wrote Live and Let Live, which is the title song of, of my new album. Right. And, um, yeah, we had about uh, 19 songs uh, done, and then suddenly, you know, we got back together. I got back together with, with uh, Fernando, and uh, we did the whole Rock the Block and, and uh, the double live album, Fire and Gasoline, the biggest European tour so far to, to date, uh, to that date, sorry. And, uh, you know, other things like uh, Montreux Festival we played and... and uh, and then Fernando had to have an operation, and he couldn't uh, do it anymore. So I took Mandy Meyer, who had been on tour with us in 1982, one Vice at a Time tour, 
and he never actually recorded on any Crocus album. And he was working with Gotthard, which is like uh, a generation younger than Crocus, and they were very popular and still are around. And mm -hmm. uh, he had finished with Gotthard, and so I called him up, Hey, Mandy. <laughs> you know most of the songs, would you like to join? Because Fernando, you know, blah, blah. And we we came to the USA. We did a club tour, kind of incognito, just to get the band spirit together. You know, back on a tour bus, tour in the USA, you know. <laughs> it was like a suicide trip. And uh, But we enjoyed it, you know. But commercial, commercially, uh, nothing looked out of it. We just... Uh, went through the paces and became a solid band. Then we came back to Switzerland, wrote songs, and out came Hellraiser. <laughs> you know, and and the Hellraiser album was actually the last one, uh, last album before the big reunion with Chris and Fernando and Mark Kohler, Freddie Steady. You know, we were back in the big... Uh, arenas and and stuff like that so that was special and and funnily enough it even lasted longer than our first uh, successful um, period in the 80s you know we came together in 2008 and hoodoo came out in 2009 and and now it's 2000 19 we were still together and, and touring and doing this that and the other so it uh, we matured you know we lost our um uh, differences or let's say we swallowed a lot of them and, and compromised a lot when you mature you you grow older you it's easier to do that you know because yeah. you you just want to you just want that uh, you don't want to rock the boat, you know, you just want to keep on sailing, you know, and enjoy. And Yeah, you know, <laughs> well, I want to jump in on that real quick, because you mentioned a few records there in, in Hoodoo and Hellraiser, um, yeah. Dirty Dynamite, records that maybe people here in the U.S. aren't aware of, but Crocus was, uh, in addition, when you guys came back together, in addition to touring, you, it was very important. You guys did make new music, and you made some records that did quite well, especially in certain parts of the world, maybe not as well-known here in America. And, you know, I, rem I remember, Mark, having yeah. when, when Chris came back to the band, and I think it was for the Hoodoo record, I had Chris Von Rohr on, and we were talking yeah. about this, and I, I know that there was some there were some fans, which I'm sure you picked up on, that when you guys did come through and play – uh, there was a period yeah. of time because maybe Chris wasn't in the band or what have you, where you didn't do certain material. You know that here in America, the the Blitz record and Midnight Maniac and all of that, Our Love, those were big songs and big yeah. MTV videos. And you steered away from that stuff when you came back and started playing again. And I remember Chris was kind of down on it and didn't want to play it. Where did you land on all of that? Were you in agreement? How do you feel about that period of time? Because here in America, even the Headhunter record, that Screaming in the Night, that's the stuff you're best known for. That Yes, yeah, Screaming in the Night, I mean, Hell, Hell Ray, uh, sorry, Headhunter album, that was our biggest one in the USA. After that came the Blitz, and we kind of changed the style a little bit, and 
With change of address, it changed even more. That's why it was called change of address. And, you know, then we took Chris back on and we did heart attack and we tried to retrieve the same sound we had on one vice at a time and hardware, you know. Um, but but the, but uh, it was like too late, you know, we had missed the boat, you know. And there was grunge coming in and stuff. So, um, and then we split up after that. We took a long hiatus, and uh, Chris did, did that, this, that, and the other, and so did everybody. And uh, so when we came back together, Fernando and I uh, said before doing Hoodoo, uh, Chris ha- accumulated a lot of experience. Uh, as a producer, producing Gotthard albums and stuff, and and he's he's a kind of he's a person who has a lot of drive and mm-hmm. uh, motivation, and he can work on details um, better than Fer- Fernando and me, you know, put together. So we'll, I'll give him that. Uh, the only thing, though, is that uh, if if there are songs that he wasn't involved with like Midnight Maniac and Our Love, I have to be honest, you know, he just, they just don't come into his uh, repertoire. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't want to have anything to do with them, you know. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, whereas uh, I I do anything, you know, I, I do what the fans want. That, that's been my thing, to try and suss out and feel what the fans want to have. And as a matter of fact, I have uh, Midnight Maniac and To The Top, which we hadn't played since ages with Crocus. And they're on my live repertoire now with, with the Storace. Oh, wow. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's great playing uh, Midnight Maniac again. And when I play that now, I think of the fans in the USA that write to me on Facebook and and say, why don't you play uh, Midnight Maniac and Our Love, you know. Uh, and I think, yeah, well, you should come over here now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or maybe if if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, you know, I'm, I'm dying to come over and, and uh, do a tour in the States. But uh, it's not easy, and now the price of gas has shot up. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, make things even worse. Uh, but if if I could get on a package tour with my uh, solo project, you know, Storace band, I'll be there in a flash. <laughs> and you yeah. know, and listening to the record and knowing what you're doing, Mark. I mean, there. Th- th- what's interesting about your record that you've put out under your name, Storace, and again, it's Mark's first um, solo record. Uh, the, anybody that's a Crocus fan is going to like this because they're going to certainly like your voice and it's you know it's 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 straight up rock and roll and hard rock. But the thing that I think that's cool about it is it is not it's not a carbon copy of all the things you've done in Crocus because you've taken some different no. turns on here. You've got a couple ballads. You've got a bluesy song on here. You've got yeah. straight up you know hard rockers on here. So I would imagine that for you as a guy who spent uh, whatever it was 40 years as the singer in Crocus or longer that to have the opportunity to to spread out a little bit and do a little bit uh, different stuff, all still rock, but do some different things. I would think yeah. that would have been very appealing to you, and that's what you wanted to do, right? Exactly. That was the goal in the first place. 
and actually I I wrote songs with um, three different guys, you know, uh, three different, sorry, four different guys. <laughs> and um, I managed to get a concept together out of, I had about 30 songs to choose from, you know, all these demos, uh, old and new. And um, so that was a bit of scrambling for for my my head. Um, but but I, I'm I think democratically, you know, I I put everything forward to uh, to the the producer, engineer, and the bands and management and people. I, and I I like to have their feedback, you know, and um, and and then I compare it with my own decisions, and and that's that's when I chose the songs and the running order for the album came like. Like it was magic. I didn't even have to spend two minutes on that. <laughs> so, mm. so it was, it it was so so great, you know. Uh, the the time I invested in writing songs with Charlie Priestel back twenty years ago, and uh, this guy Adrian Fisher, a guitar player living in Newcastle, and we worked together via internet, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, and these two guys, Cyril and Massimo, uh, a guitar player and a drummer, who also produced and engineered in their own studio the new album, uh, it, it was like they came up with five, five tracks which are on the album, you know, and three from Adrian Fisher and uh, uh, another two with Charlie, you know. So... Um, we went for 10 songs, recorded 11, and one of them's a reserve or whatever. We didn't even finish it completely. But it was such a nice thing for me also, not not for the fact of, of you know, it, just to stay creative. That's what I am, you know. I'm a, I'm a singer. It's, it's a virus. It's inside my my system, my psych, my emotions, and and you you can't believe it, Eddie. What what pleasure I had doing this, you know. It was a a work of passion, you know. And these guys were really into it. The musicians are all uh, studio musicians, well experienced. They can play anything from reggae mm. to blues, rock, and stuff. And so it was a nice experience work, working with different kind of musicians, you know, and um, always making a check that it stays rock, you know. <laughs> like, right. Don't drift, don't drift into anything else, guys. You know, <laughs> let's keep it rock. right. <laughs> right, and that—that's uh, what I meant. That's what I meant when I said there's anybody that likes Crocus is going to like this because it's a rock record. But you were able to take some turns here and there as well, which is what you'd want to do. Uh, I would think I when you get a that. chance to make yeah. your first record, yeah, outside of the band, sure, makes I sense. Mean, that, that, that was the first thing that motivated me to join Crocus in the beginning because they. They sent me demos of the of the first my debut album with Crocus uh, was Metal Rendezvous, and this was there was there was reggae in there. There was uh, a bluesy kind of feeling. There was all out all out rock and roll. It was also an album which was very colorful, and that's what I like. 
I don't like every song to sound the same so that you you don't know one song from the other, you know. <laughs> um there's there's only 10 songs after all, so I I can actually I started to picture this kind of landscape, you know, it's like painting a picture for where you come in like even like a live gig, you know, you come in with all out live and let live and then you 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 do you do go through the colors <laughs> that's how i i look at music you know i'm i'm not very technical i can't read or write music and never never wanted to either although i come from a family uh, that reads and writes music you know classical background and stuff like that but i rebelled against that you know i said i don't want to learn chinese <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so well, it it was really nice. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, um, you know, I'm think I just I, thinking of Metal Rendezvous. I mean, that being your first record, that's 42 years ago. It's just crazy. I remember getting that record and hearing it initially, and that was your debut with the band. And that record actually ended up being a huge record in, I believe, Switzerland. Right? It's so that that's a huge record for Crocus internationally yeah. still. Right. Yeah, very big. Four times platinum in Switzerland, and wow, yeah, it's one of the big ones. Yeah, but, you know, but Switzerland's a little country, you know. But at the same time, you can say that Headhunter in the USA is is uh, the equivalent, you know. Yeah, because, for sure. But and Headhunter was was uh, more metal, <clears throat> but there again, you know, we managed. What we managed to do with Headhunter was also, uh, I mean, it's so colorful for for what it is. You know, it's metal. Yeah. It sounds metallic as well. And um, the, there's all kinds of songs. And there's this big ballad, Screaming in the Night, you know, yeah. which really softens the landscape a little bit. And, uh, and there's even one about uh, Russian winter, which is a, a romantic song, has nothing to do with what's going on today. And and anyway, right. uh, it's not yeah, the no, Russians it's... we're against. <laughs> right. It's uh, it's uh, their leader. <laughs> yes, but anyway, exactly. There's 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 other stuff, you know, on on Headhunter, which makes it a incredible album for me too. Yeah, it's a great record, and and the song "Headhunter." I've said many people point to that as maybe a song that was one of the the, the foundations for thrash metal because of the double kick in it and the speed of that. That was one of the faster <laughs> things people had heard at that time. You know, the song "Headhunter," and then "Eat the Rich" got some play, and the BTO cover that's on there. So, yeah, great, great record. Hard to believe it's been forty, forty-one years since it came out. Hey, Mark, I gotta run, but I gotta ask you one final thing. If yeah. uh, before we we let you go, yeah. If you can once and for all set the record straight on this, because I remember when Chris came on for a, a, a recent record, and he's like, "No, it's all rubbish." He goes, "They doesn't even know those guys." The whole story about you and ACDC, anything to it or no? Set the record straight for once. Did you ever audition? Did you ever meet them? Was it just an idea? Did they ever actually contact you? What is the actual story there? Well, it it was there was this guy who was the CEO of this uh, 
production company in Birmingham, which was like the center of heavy metal in the world <laughs> in those days, you know, Black Sabbath and and and, and everybody was doing the productions up there. And so we, we went and uh, they built a light show for us. They built the castle for us. They built the uh, portcullis, which we have on one vice at a time. And so this was the hardware album. And um, they came, they drove down to Switzerland with this uh, huge truck, containing our new light show and the the ceo you know steve docks he took me on the side and said hey mark you you know acdc is looking for a singer do you want to want me to put your name forward because um uh, you know i think you would fit and i said and in those days i was kind of a little bit naive about acdc you know i just i knew they they were bigger than Crocus at that point, but not that much big. I mean, it wasn't uh, a Journey or, you know, Aerosmith level or whatever. And and I was really happy with Crocus. I, I had tried, uh, I had a background of trying to do, uh, trying to get my world success, if you like, you know, with bands. Um, like Tea and Easy Money. And here I was with Crocus. The debut album, my debut album with them, Metal Rendezvous, shot through the skies and made an echo around the world. We were doing tours like, like I never did before. And I was happy. I was getting on well with the guys. And so I, I didn't want to change horses in the middle of the race, you know, I mean, if there was any, if I had been having any problems, I might have thought about his question and, and told him, well, give me a minute or so, but my answer was very spontaneous. I said, you know, uh, no, Steve, I, I don't think so. It was like, I'd like to stay where I am. I don't want to take take risks. I love the guys. I love uh, the music. I'm enjoying myself here. I didn't think further, you know, and that's that's the only thing that happened. But then, of course, when it got out, <laughs> somebody asked me. I don't know how it got out. Uh, of course, you know, the press make a big thing out of it, and it a little ant gets blown into a big elephant, you know, and and it's actually not not right. I, you know, because I. I love uh, Brian Johnson as much as I love uh, Bon Scott and and the whole band and they gave the world something which is incredibly precious and so I don't want to like uh, throw any kind of whatever second thoughts or whatever misunderstandings in in, the, in that direction whatsoever you know that's all that it was and you know what? I completely understand that in context, and anyone should, because at that point, Back in Black hadn't come out. Nobody knew what ACDC was going to be or what turn they were going to take. And here you yeah. are with your first record with your own, really what was viewed as your own band, Crocus, even though it, it wasn't technically the first record. It was your first record, and it was a huge record, as we just cut, discuss, uh, discussed, Metal Rendezvous, four yeah. times platinum. I mean, why would you uproot that if you've got that going 
I, I completely understand it in context. Of course, now looking back on it, people would be like, oh my God, he was crazy. But in 1980, yeah. 1979, not like that at all. I completely get exactly. it. Exactly. It's like, it's like, you know, betting on a horse, you know, uh, <laughs> how can you say later on, oh, shit, I should have bet on the other horse. Uh, well, uh, come on, you know, give me a break. That, that's right. life. That's, that's how it is. And, and, you know, after all, when I look back, I don't, I don't feel I, I made a, a mistake at all. That wasn't, wasn't a mistake. It was logical thinking. Uh, But uh, as you put it, you know, looking back at it from today, of course, yeah, well. (laughs) Right, right, right. I got it, totally. Hey, I got to run. Mark, I'm out of time. I got to hit a break. But it's great catching up with you Uh, next time. If I should get to Switzerland, I'm definitely going to look you up next time. And if you get to the U.S., certainly uh, get in touch with me. And everybody check out Mark's first ever solo record, simply under his name, Storacci. It's called Live and Let Live. It's out now. A couple videos you can see on YouTube. Uh, The music is out there, available wherever you get your music. And uh, some great stuff on it. And uh, always sounding in good voice as well. Great to catch up with you for a bit, Mark. Thank you for the time, okay? Thanks a lot, Eddie. I know you're a busy man, and thanks for your time. All the best, and I'll be looking into following what you're doing. (laughs) All right. Same here, man. All the best to you. I hopefully hopefully see you soon. Okie doke. Yes, hope so. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. There he goes, everybody. You too. Take care. Yeah, you too, man. Bye-bye. Thanks to Mark Storacci. Up next, Aldo Nova. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Aldo Nova right now on the Eddie Trunk podcast, and it is our second interview this week, and Aldo is here to tell us about a new expansive rock opera, The Life and Times of Eddie Gage, where he's been, where he's headed, what he hopes to accomplish, getting back into the rock world. Here he is, Aldo Nova on the Eddie Trunk podcast. Aldo, welcome back to the show. How are you, man? Hey, Eddie. How are you doing? It's been a long time. Has been a long time. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine just a little while ago, guitarist uh, friend of mine named Brent Woods, and he was. I told him you were coming on the show, and he immediately sent me an ad to a concert that he saw back around 40 years ago, UFO with special guest Aldo Nova, Long Beach Arena in California, May 21st. You remember it, Aldo? <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. At the first, during the first... Supporting my first album, I toured with like BOC, Cheap Trick, UFO. I mean, you know, just about everybody. You know, I got a lot of good exposure. That record was doing well, and I supported it. So, you know, I did remember you, that did, show very well. Are there any of those early tours and uh, and bands that you went out and played with? Are, are there any that really jump out at you, or any bands that you really connected with more than than others when you were a support act back then? I really connected with uh, BOC because uh, uh, we got together and wrote Take Me Away. 
And uh, Chief Jerk was one of the bands I remember the most. We got along like a house on fire. Those guys are nuts, and we just got along like everything was great. It was crazy. So yeah, and of course, like, of course, Cheap Trick and BOC, two bands that are still going and still making really good new music. Uh, they both have put out recently real good records, and I just saw Cheap Trick play the other day. And with BOC, yeah, Take Me Away was a song you wrote with them. Which it's a great song from uh, Blue Oyster Cult. I want to talk about your new record, but tell me about writing that. How did that come about? Did it just come from the fact that you guys connected uh, touring? Um, Take Me Away was a song that I had written for my first album. It was called Psycho War. It was about a psychopathic serial killer. And then I didn't put it on my album. And then we shared manager, Sandy Perlman. And then Sandy played the song for Eric. And then Eric had this genius idea to make it about uh, extraterrestrials. And uh, because we both share a passion for that. And um, so he wrote Take Me Away. And it just turned out really good. And then I I played on the record. Uh, I played guitars and keyboards, and uh, I, it really became a, a well-known song for them. And they still play it all the time. So, so yeah, it's a it's a great song. Actually, I played it on my uh, on my show that I play music on here on Sirius XM yesterday. As a matter of fact, so I mentioned uh, Aldo that you were you were in studio with us a few years ago, uh, putting out Aldo Nova 2.0 where you re-recorded some of your older songs and, and that EP had come out. And I remember at that time you told me you were working on something that was a big undertaking. And now I can see what that is with this uh, very expansive, basically rock opera life and times of Eddie Gage. So in a nutshell, uh, tell my audience about this record and the process of making it. And when you first had this idea. Well, I first had this idea in 2008 when I, decided to just basically um, get away from working with from anybody else and you know I just stopped it was just like uh, stop writing with anybody else stop producing anybody else's song and I just said I want to write a rock opera and right away the title The Life and the Times of the Gage came into my head and I wrote eight songs uh, right away that year in 2008 and I didn't want to let the, I didn't want to go back to the the formula that I used uh, a couple of years ago writing for other people, which was right, you know, sitting in a room with uh, other people trying to crank out a song a day. I wanted to write this record from pure inspiration. So um, I, I wrote uh, nine songs in, in 2008 that, um, that are still on the record. I wrote another one in 2000, another, some more songs in 2011, more in 2013, more in 2015 and a bunch of them in 2019 and the last one was in November 20 uh November 10th uh 2021 so the record was written in a way that I didn't push it when the inspiration came you know um, I I would write the song and then I would produce it right away and so it took years and years to get it done to find the right songs to finish it and it was like you know, I mean, Bob Ludwig, he, I think he mastered the record eight, nine times. I would always write a new song, and then he'd master it and master it and reassemble it. Um, and then finally, I think that when I wrote the last song, I think I had the uh, uh, the record. But it's funny because the last song that finishes the album is a song called Burn Like the Sun. And that song was written in 1989. And uh, all I had from that was... Uh, the demo, a two-track demo with uh, 
and nothing else. And the demo was good enough to put on the record, so I put that in, and it's the last song on the record. But it was the first song I had written uh, back then. So, but don't forget, I'm putting out an EP first, a ten-song EP, because the two hours is a lot too long to grab somebody's attention at first, right. which I, I noticed. So I'm putting out a ten-song EP of like, songs that make you realize that. It is a rock opera and not your standard record. And then after that, uh, I'll put out the EP sometimes in August. I mean, the uh, record in, in August. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because for the audience listening, so the EP is coming out on April 1st. And you, right. you say a 10-song EP. Most EPs are four or five songs. So 10-song EP just shows you how expansive this is. But I think that's a good idea because I was going to ask you about that. You know, I'm, I'm old school, Aldo. I love... I love getting my music physically. I prefer CD. I love the packaging. I love reading liner notes. I love reading every credit. That's me. I love, I still love that process, but you know it better than anybody. This world we're in now, very short attention spans. Some people only do singles. Some people only do EPs. I like a fully realized full recording and package still, but it was that a concern of yours doing something this in depth in the, in the music business world that we're in today? Yeah, I'm really old school. I mean, you know, the thing is, uh, it took me years to finally get to the point where I control everything. I own my own publishing, I own the songs, I own the masters, I do everything. And so uh, I was in charge. I was I was able to do like I'm very old school, and I used to love reading the liner notes as the music was was uh, playing, and I knew who produced it, who wrote, yeah. who played who engineered and you know that's that's a bigger as big a thrill as you see in music so my packaging is extremely elaborate it's got beautiful artwork it's got a 16 page booklet um it's got actually seven pages of liner notes lyrics a synopsis of uh, the characters and then it's got uh and then it's got uh the, then the music so for me i wanted to make an interactive uh, experience so, in other words, you read the synopsis of each character, uh, you take your lyrics in your hand, you put the music on, and you read the the lyrics as the music goes on, and you'll know the story as it is right there, and the character is described. So it's, everything is really like, a, uh, it's more of a, I don't know, it's, it's a play, I didn't, everything is too... Um, uh, all right, they want everything given to you right now. Everything is fast, 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 fast. Show me this, show me that. I wanted people to use their imagination. So with this sort of a, a format, uh, I wanted people to have each their own story, and not a story, but I mean, you know, their picture of who Eddie Gage looks like, their picture of who the King of the Sea looks like. You know, it's more more their imagination. So it's very, very old school. Great packaging, everything. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I say to people all the time, people complain about not being able to sell physical product. I was like, well, okay, give people a reason to buy it. Don't, you know, I get so many CDs still, and, and they're like a little slip slipcase with nothing inside of it, no booklet, nothing. It's if you want to inspire people to do more than just click on a link, give them a little more in the packaging, uh, put a little work into it. So I, I can't wait to see uh, when it, it's, it's fully done. Uh, you said the full length, what you're talking about will come out later in the year, right? Right, in August, yeah. In August. And the EP is out on April 1st. The, the character April 1st. of Eddie 
the, the Aldo, the character of Eddie Gage, which was what this whole rock opera is based on, is it autobiographical in any way or no? Well, the physical part of it, the fact that he was 17 years old and was like a gunslinger in clubs, the fact that he got signed in 81, all the dates correspond to what's written in the liner notes. Uh, the fact that his record came out April 1st, 1982. Uh, the fact that his record went, you know, went uh, gold in three months and it went top 10. That's all me. But it's also based on religion and theology because there's also, I believe that there's different forces at work here. So you have to sort of decode the names and read the lyrics. So let's say from that, for example, the first character, the uh, A&R, his name is Andy Christos. So Christos in Greek is Christ. So it would be, if you read it fast, it's Antichrist. And then the lyrics really tell that character. It's almost and based actually accurately with the book of Revelations in the Bible. So it's, it's really, you have to think about it, but it, it's a rock. It's definitely a rock song. I mean, it's balls to the wall rock. So it's just, uh, it is based on me, but then it's not just a typical it's not the story that you've heard before. It's not just the story that you've read and heard and seen movies about a million times before. This is something that I've lived. And then there's also the uh, uh, the metaphysical part of it, which is different. So, you, uh, you you said something interesting a few minutes ago when, when you were talking about getting this record together and that you made the decision not to uh, write with others or for others anymore and just focus on doing your own thing. For people that aren't aware, you've had a tremendously successful career as a writer uh, writing songs for others, not just Bloister Cult, but huge success with Celine Dion, Faith Hill, Carol King, Clay Aiken, very wide range of musicians that you've written for or with. And, and, you know, that's a that's obviously something that's a, a great talent and a great credit and great to be able to do. Why did you kind of uh, grow tired of that? Why is that something you don't want to do anymore? Um, first of all, it's a thankless job. And, you know, all you get is like you work on these people's records and you tell them exactly. You have to give them the elaborate demos and then you have to coach them in the studio and tell them how to, uh, how to sing, how to do that note. I mean, most of the acts, I mean, I do really elaborate re records and I hire singers and they phrase like me. And if I would give her something like that to Celine Dion, then she'll copy that note for note. Because if you give her, um, if you give her music and, and lyrics and you ask her to, you know, interpret that, um, uh, it's, it's very difficult. You know what I mean? It's like what people think that the talent that's out there that was, you know, even the biggest stars are basically not created like today, but they're sort of like they depend on the producers. And then all it ends up is getting like uh, uh, peanuts for cash and uh, and basically a thank you on the record. So I just said, forget it. I don't need that. I'd rather do my own thing. And I starved for years and years. I mean, I mean, from 2008 to, uh, I mean, you know, uh, got till last year, I starved. I had trouble. To, I had to literally, you know, I had trouble putting food on the table for my family. And I, I took the choice. I'd rather starve than do that again. So, you know, that was my did decision. You, uh, 
did you not get uh, paid and do you not have your publishing from these songs that you wrote for others that were big hits? Because that's surprising to me. It, usually, you know, that's a great stream of money that comes in. Well, it, it comes in as far as songwriting. Um, let's say a record, the way it works is that a record that's hot, let's say for even Celine Dion's record at New Com, which was number one in 26 countries, is number one for a certain amount of time. It can't run indefinitely, even though this one runs, it's, it's also considered a classic. But let's say the big hit status of it, you know, the, when it runs in heavy rotation, will last, let's say, shelf life for three months. And then it goes away, and they replace it with the new, uh, uh, all the new hits. So you make money for those, but for a year after that, and then they continue to, Let's say you go and see Celine Dion or something like that, and they go to hear A New Day Has Come. She still has the money stream still coming in, whereas me, my uh, my income stream has dwindled down quite a bit. So um, it's not whatever, it's not as as, you know, as much as you think it is. Eventually, it sort of dwindles down to nothing. And the royalties that they're paying now are peanuts. I mean, you know, uh, they pay nothing. I mean, it's as far as the producer, as far even as far back as my first album, I mean, I only got with once I uh, they you know took out all their portions and the managers and the companies, I only get like you know maybe two cents a record, you know. So uh, you know, you know that's basically the story of Eddie Gage. You get shafted all over the place. No wonder he goes down, you know, ends up in that kind of life. But at least there's some redemption in Eddie Gage, which matches mine. I finally got to a point now, 65, where I'm really happy. And, you know, that, you know it's good. You know, there's always a, a good side to everything. So where do you want to take this, Aldo? Because last time I spoke to you, when you put out the EP, when you were in the studio, your goal at that point was to really get out there and play and do shows, and you really wanted to kind of reestablish yourself in the rock world again and, and really get out there and do some stuff. Is that still your intention once this record comes out? Is that still what you're shooting for? Of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got a great band. I've got uh, Jack Frost, uh, a guitar, who, uh, I'm, you know, he's a New Jersey boy that everybody knows. Oh, I know knows. Jack. God. Oh, yeah, great guy. <laughs> yeah, I've got Dyer Sexus from, uh, from California on bass. I've got Charlie Calv on keyboards, and I've got this, you know, uh, kick-ass drummer from Montreal. So the band is solid. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to tours. Just, I want to, I'm doing everything by steps slowly. I mean, I'm doing everything methodically and it's pretty well thought out. Um, I, I'm, did the record, I finished that. It comes out April 1st, which also, by the way, is the 40th anniversary of the release of my first record. So that comes out April 1st. Reload comes out uh, April 19th. And then after that, you know, somebody will hear, um, those records and I'll gain more popularity, even though my popularity is, is, is getting more now than it's ever been. And then from there, you know, maybe I'll make a this step after that. Because realistically, like you say, I'm a realist. If I went to a booking agent now, um, he'd say, well, okay, oh, it's Aldo Nova. He had a hit 40 years ago. Uh, he's a one, you know, basically a one hit wonder. Nobody's heard from him. He's probably fat. He's bald you know, whatever. So I have to be a realist and think that if I went out to a booking agent now, I, was, I would get booked at the classic rock shows and, 
in that vein. So I'm, I sort of worked, I'm working my way into getting to a point where I can move up then to the next level. Uh, so, right. Right. Well, you're smart. That's exactly, you know, you're real. You said it yourself. You're realistic. You understand what's ahead of you and what you're trying to do. Um, you, you mentioned reloaded, which is a different record that's going to come out on the 17th of April. And that, uh, that looks like that's a mix of some of the things you had, had hit me with a few years ago, which was the re-record of fantasy, but, but basically reloaded is you doing re-records of some of your songs from your early records, correct? Yeah, but uh, supercharged. And see, the problem with the uh, 2.0 was that the fact that it was overproduced and I went too far away from the original songs. And that turned people off, turned the critics off, turned my fans off, and in the end, turned me off. I couldn't find anything good with the record. So being in control of everything now, I had the record wiped out. It's not on any streaming platform anymore. There's no physical CDs. It cost me $4,000 to destroy 1,500 CDs. I had it wiped out. Nobody, For somebody that has that 2.0 record, it's worth a lot of money because it doesn't exist anymore. You can't find it anywhere. So that's the, the beauty of having that control. You know, I made something. I didn't want somebody to go back and say, well, he made a crap record because it wasn't a great record. But it did introduce me to somebody who believed in me and from that person, now I'm able to be in the position I'm in now. So, yeah, 2.0 was, was, it was, it made me open the door. And now I'm here with Reloaded. It's different because Reloaded, I took my COVID versions, which are balls to the wall, rock and good performances and stay true to the real, uh, to the format of fantasy. I mean, if you hear fantasy, it's fantasy, but like turbocharged. I got a great rhythm section. I got a killer drummer, killer bass player, and I kept everything raw, like like Blood on the Bricks. That's on the, that's on the, you can see them all on, on the COVID special. Blood on the Bricks is basically bass, drum, guitars, and a vocal. And that's the way they really work. I mean, that's a, you know, the songs sound great like that, raw. Yeah, you you mentioned Blood on the Bricks, and and that's another guy that you've always had a a relationship with. Blood on the Bricks came out initially through John Bon Jovi's label. I know that you wrote and worked on the Young Guns soundtrack with him. John's always been a seemed to be a fan and supporter of yours to the point that he released Blood on the Bricks in the U.S. on his own label. And I'm I'm curious, do you still have a relationship with him, and uh, do you still work with him at all? No, I haven't spoken to John in 15 years. We decided oh, wow. to split ways. Yeah, I haven't talked to him. You know, never, never made an effort. I guess we. Uh, I, I, it was my choice. I decided to, to basically part ways, and he never made an effort to contact, and I never made an effort to contact him back. So it's been fifteen years. So, did uh, something go down? Was there a falling out? Um, something happened that was like. Uh, yeah, to me, across a certain point, a certain line that is not acceptable, you know, especially not to Italians. So, I mean, you know, that was a point where I said, okay, well, that's that's it. You know, it's like you don't you don't do that. And then it was it, it was over. So uh, it was my oh, it was wow. my choice, and um, my life wasn't it was not affected to it in the least about it. You know. Well, a lot, to hear a that. lot of people keep asking me about 
I mean, I just did an interview with people, and they just always go over over the John Bon Jovi thing, and I and I humor, you know, and I I just talk about it, I understand anything about it. This is probably the first person, I, the first time I've ever talked about it ever. That uh, the relationship is, I haven't spoken to him in 15 years, you know. So, uh, but it was fun. Blood on the Bricks was fun. Uh, Young Guns Two was uh, a riot to do. It was good. I, I did a lot of stuff. So it got it gave me a chance to, you know, to move ahead. Everything is like a move forward, you know. To me, everything is a learning experience. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's like I I just found out this week that people in the business don't like anything more than a three line email. That's it. I used to write novels, <laughs> but I realized that you know it's a, a three line email is all they want to hear. So that's all I write. Now. All they want to read. So. Uh, I'm always well, learning every day. I'm always like, well, uh, I don't, you know, learning. yeah, but you know what, you know what, Aldo, everybody says there's these rules or whatever, or how people want things now. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere will come something that's complete opposite to that. And then it does extraordinarily well. So who the hell knows anymore? You know, you, I say, right. As long as of an email as you have to, especially if you're going to put out a, a record of 25 songs and two hour rock opera, the hell with it, man. You want to write a couple <laughs> extra sentences on an email, go for it, Aldo. <laughs> who cares? Yeah, I know. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I just definitely did what I wanted to on this record because nobody told me that I couldn't. And right. the record really is different and it's, it kicks butt. And it's also, I don't know if you've had a chance to see my, uh, my King of Deceit video today, but it's yes. really Came out today. theatrical and yeah. I'm in costume makeup and I'm just basically doing a theatrical piece, uh, which you think that, you know, a guy that studied theater is doing, you know, so, uh, I did that. I, you know, paid for the videos. I did one for Free Your Mind where you can see the band live. Uh, I did one for Burn Like the Sun. And uh, I did one which is like completely different, uh, uh, King of the Sea. So I, I work on my own rules. I was just speaking about the emails because I'm trying to contact people. And it's like, I realized that you know, as far as that side of it, I have to work on their rules as far as creating and putting out albums and, you know, sitting. I mean, just an example. Reloaded has like Blood on the Bricks, Fantasy, Under the Gun, Fool Yourself, uh, Paradise, Ball and Chain, all redone to Reloaded. So what I did is I said, well, okay, why don't I just give them versions that uh, are different? So in other words, on the CD, it's a three CD set. Disc one is all the songs. This two is all is is the songs minus the, the lead vocal. This three is all the songs minus the lead guitar, and that's something that's never been done before. So, so it's a um, you know, so people can sing along with me, they can play along with me, uh, and nobody's ever done that before. So I decided to do it, which because it was no effort to me. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one, one quick question. Then I got to run. I wanted to ask you, you know, when you came on the scene 40 years ago to us here in the U S you seemingly came out of nowhere. The first record comes out. MTV is a brand new thing at the time. You come with this elaborate music video for this song called fantasy, which at the time was a very big looking production with the big intro piece to it. And you, the helicopters and all of that. And then of course that song, as you mentioned, is still your best known song, certainly here in the U S did that immediate success, uh, 
surprise you that here you are, a brand new artist, debut record. There's this new thing called MTV. You make this video, and then all of a sudden it all connects. The video's on MTV. The song's a hit. The record's big. You go out on tour. I mean, right out of the gate for a new young artist at the time, 40 years ago, I would think that would be pretty overwhelming. Did it surprise you, and how did you handle that? I handled it really well because, first of all, I didn't have a chance to not I, I didn't have a chance to absorb it. I mean, my manager had me touring. Uh, I think even a month before the uh, the record came out. Then I did tour after tour. At first tour I did was Hall and Oates uh, with them, believe it or not. And then I did BOC for like a six months, Cheap Trick for another six months, uh, for a year. I mean, so I was just working and working. So for me. Uh, I just didn't have a chance to realize it. It's not as if I had a, a chance to sit there and like uh, bask in my glory. It's, uh, you're out there and working. So I'm using the same mentality now. Get out there and work. I mean, you know, so, and that's the way you're going to get somewhere. So. Yeah, and those those were the times when you worked, and I've talked about this a lot, the business now, it's like everything's pushed towards first week, and then a lot of new music is forgotten three weeks after it comes out. Back then, you worked a record for a year and a half, two years. It was a series of singles and tours. It was not such a quick, quick hit thing. So that was a long campaign, I would think. Yeah, but has it really changed? I mean, nowadays, if you want to sell records and... and or sell merchandise, and you have to tour. And nothing's really oh, yeah. changed for rock acts. The only re- yeah. the only kind of music or format that that works is for the pop and the Justin Bieber's and the Dua Lipa's and things of, of I mean, all those things, uh, to me, which are disposable music that are just come and gone. Uh, those acts will are like one, um, what I really consider one-hit wonders, whereas our music lasts. You know, the... You know, people want to come and see us tour. People want to come and see us live. They know, uh, whether it be me or whether it be Wolfgang Van Halen, who I respect a lot, uh, they just go out and just, like, play and, you know, give people and entertain people and so show them they're for real. You know, they're not showing them some fabricated band. And that way yeah. they can sell records. You tour, you sell records. You wait to get on the radio, you can wait a long time. So uh, yeah. that's the way I look at it. No doubt. Well, listen, it's great to catch up with you for a bit. We'll remind everybody again, the EP, which is basically a sampler of the full rock opera, Life and Times of Eddie Gage, is coming out April 1st, and then 2.0 Reloaded comes out on April 19th, and then later on in the summer, the complete uh, Life of Eddie Gage will be released, all two hours of it, and hopefully some live shows coming up as well at some point later in the year. Aldo, great to catch up with you. Good luck with all of this. We'll continue to keep an eye on it and uh, let let everybody know about it. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again, okay? Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks to Aldo Nova. Great talking to him. And thanks earlier to Mark Storacci, for joining us this week on the podcast. Again, both of those interviews happened live on my daily radio show on Sirius XM Volume Channel 106. Please join me to talk rock every day live, 2 to 4 Eastern, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app, including audio and video. Here on the podcast, you only get a tiny taste of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, 
Please join me every day, Talking Rock, on Trunk Nation on Volume Channel 106. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing. And I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.